Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Everybody doing all right? <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. Yeah, back from the family trip. I'm trying to help you guys out with this terminology now. It's important you get this right, okay? Let me give you the picture. Me, my wife, our four kids, love them. Cody's brothers, their kids, Cody's mom and dad. That's a trip, <laughs> not a vacation. There's a big difference between a trip and a vacation. So, Oh, good time was had by all, though. We are back, and I'm glad to be back. We're in the series, Did You Know? And I want to get right into this message. This is kind of a life message for me, if you will. Um, one of the subjects that I feel like the Lord has had to help me the most with and uh, something that I think that is certainly relevant to the culture, the society that we live in. This whole summer series, we just want to reveal some biblical principles and truths that we hope can help you in your Monday through Saturday walk and your personal relationship with God and hopefully in relationship with other people. Today's subject is very, very pertinent to those relationships. This verse in John 8, 32 is important for us to understand. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We wanna be a church that walks in a balance of truth and grace. Uh, if you are all truth and no grace, you can be right and you can be so right you're wrong because nobody will wanna listen to you because you're mean. But you can be all grace and no truth and if you are all grace with no truth, then you're wishy-washy and flaky and driven by your emotions and feelings. And so it's really important that you have a good balance of truth and grace. And Jesus was the perfect example of this, of how he communicated and how he lived in such a way where he brought that balance. But unless you know the truth, and it's not just knowing the truth, but it's knowing the truth. If you don't know it, then it can't set you free. And so we're trying to reveal some of those truths. And today we're going to talk about the subject of offense. And I believe that offense is a cultural epidemic. In fact, I believe we live in the most offended generation that has ever sucked air on the planet. And the fact that I just said that just offended three quarters of you, like right now. You're just like, I can't believe you just said that. Here's your sign, okay? There's proof right there. Because it's so easy for us to be offended. You, you can't hardly breathe these days without worrying about offending someone. Or everyone else can hardly breathe without offending you. And I think it's a subject that the Lord would want us to help us with. The Lord, Jesus actually prophesied that we would live in times like this. It says in Matthew 24, verse 10, this is the New King James Version. It says, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Offense is a major relational inhibitor. Probably one of the greatest ones that breaks down relationships in Proverbs 18, 19, it says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. In the original language, that word fortified was the word stronghold. Harder to win back than a stronghold. Arguments separate friends like gates locked with bars. 
I find that many times the easiest people to offend are the people that are closest to us, although they're not the only people that we offend. But relationships are majorly broken down. We are created for relationship. Every single one of us, we are created for relationship. And those relationships will look different depending on who you are. But God created us first and foremost for relationship with him and then for the relationship with him to overflow into relationships with other people. And and offense is one of the biggest things that breaks down the fabric of God's creation because it keeps people separated. There's really two categories of offense that I think that every single one of us could fall into. Uh, First of all, there's legitimate offense. Legitimate offense. Now these are like the real hurts and pains that happen in life. The real mistreatments that all of us have probably experienced at one point or another. All of us have had these. When I was in seventh grade, I was just like the scrawniest kid you've ever seen in your life. Like if I turn sideways, stick out my tongue, I look like a zipper. I was really skinny, very, very skinny. And, and, and I had a lot of social anxieties and I wasn't great at making friends. And so I got picked on and bullied a lot. And I remember at one point, this kid named Joseph Martinez. You never forget the names of the people that have mistreated you. They're full names. Joseph Martinez, he was this 16-year-old eighth grader with a full beard. And he was like three times the size of any other kid in the school because he had flunked out a couple of times. So he just had this problem. And the thing about Joseph was he was a hurting kid. He was abused at home. And when you have a hurting person, hurting people have a tendency to hurt people. Well, one morning, Joseph decided I was going to be the target of that. So I'm just walking down the hallway, minding my own business, and Joseph decided he wanted to fight me. So he came up and he pushed me. Well, I was raised in a home where I was taught that I don't go around picking fights and fighting people, but I was taught to defend myself. But there wasn't a whole lot of hope in this situation for me to defend myself. But I did my best. So I threw down my backpack and he he kept pushing me into the wall. And so I put a wrestling move on him because I was a wrestler. So I shot for his legs. <laughs> he was not moving. And before I knew it, he had picked me up, put me in a headlock, and he started pounding on my face, just pounding over and over and over and over again. What seemed like for a really, really long time until somebody, a couple people came in and broke up the fight. I was a mess, broken nose, two black eyes. And that, that was a legitimate mistreatment. I had a legitimate offense brought against me. But it got worse from there. And how could it get worse? Well, there's other kinds of offense that can cut a lot deeper. Because a couple of days later, I was at my youth group. As I'm sitting there with every, all the other kids in my youth group, there's probably about 30 of us in this youth group. The youth pastor decided to point me out as an example. Because he wanted to talk about turning the other cheek. And so he points to me and he says, James, he had a hard time doing this a couple days ago. He had a hard time turning the other cheek and he got in a fight. And I'm sitting there with two black eyes. I'm like, dude, I turned the other cheek and he punched it. He punched it a lot. 
I have two black eyes. That's the maximum amount of cheekage that you have. Like, <laughs> but that hurt. Whether it's physical mistreatment, emotional, and sometimes the worst is spiritual offense. All of us have those things. But the question is this. Whatever the mistreatment is, do you, do I have the right to be offended? We're going to talk about that question. Another type of offense is what I would call illegitimate offense or just fake offense. And this is where you think that you've been mistreated. You feel that you've been mistreated. When our son Corbin was little, he would get really frustrated, really frustrated. And his little brother or his sister would be bothering him and he would just get so mad and just, just clenching his jaw and clenching his fists. And then, and then he would do something. He would act out and he would get in trouble and he'd just be that much more frustrated. And so when we go to talk to him, he would say this phrase a lot. He would he just clench his fist and clench his jaw. And he's just like, they're just making me so naughty right now. I don't know where he got that. Maybe he heard me talking about his mama or something like that. I don't know what it was, but hey. But how childish, right? That he would say that somebody could make him offended. Make him bad. How childish to say that, right? But how many times have you gotten on social media? How many times have you gotten on Facebook and you saw a post from somebody you don't even know and it offended you? It made you offended. Like this is a person you don't know and you're never gonna meet in your life and somehow this person that you don't know and you're never gonna meet in your life just gained access to control you in the quietness of your home, reached in and offended you. How dare they? They are just making you so naughty right now. How childish. But that's the nature of the culture that we live in. How easy it is for us to be offended. When we allow offense from someone, we're actually giving that person control over our lives. And then we think that because they offended us, we should not have control over them. Like they should now be listening to what we think. Look, there's plenty of opportunities for offense around ministry, let me tell you. One of my favorite stories from Pastor Rick early on in the church, he got this email from this lady and she was just so mad about all the technology that we use in the church. I can't believe the speakers are too loud. You've got lights and they're different colors. <laughs> and just went on and on about all the technology. You did video, you used video. You, you showed a part of a movie in a service and then talked about Jesus. 
So Pastor Rick was getting ready to respond. And then he realized it's an email. That's technology. So she didn't get it. But hey, how many of y'all know how therapeutic it is to type out a response? <laughs> Read it a couple times. Mm. And then delete it. <laughs> the problem is some of y'all don't know the delete part. I mean, y'all need to learn that part. You need to learn that part. Whatever category you fit into, whether it's legitimate or illegitimate offense, I think what the Lord would want us to discover is that because of Jesus, not only can we completely forgive offenses that have happened in our lives, but we can live in a place where we are unoffendable. I believe that. I want to look at Luke 17. That's, that's the text for today. In Luke 17, now... Today, we're going to look more at a word-for-word a -word translation instead of a dynamic translation. A lot of times we'll read out of NIV or NLT, and these are more thought-for-thought -thought translations of the original text. But the older translations are a much more clear word-for-word -word translation, and so we are going old-school King James on the scripture this morning, and you won't understand some of the words that we're going to try to read but I want you to pick up on as much of it as you can. Luke 17, verse one, King James Version says, then he said unto the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. Not that we will be offended, but that offenses are gonna come. They're going to come, but it doesn't say you're gonna be offended. He just says, they're, just, they're coming, okay? But woe unto him through whom they come. We're gonna go on to verse five. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if, you had, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. Okay, now you guys are like, how in the world does this have anything to do with offense? Well, I'm gonna break it down for you. There's two types of mulberry trees in the Middle East. There's a black mulberry tree and a white mulberry tree. The black mulberry tree was more commonly known as the sycamine tree. Both of these trees looked identical. Both of them produced figs, but they were very different trees, although they looked identical. The sycamine tree or the black mulberry tree was the particular tree that Jesus is talking about when he says, if you have just a little bit of faith, you can say to that sycamine tree, be completely uprooted and thrown into the sea and it'll happen. There's a few things we can learn from the sycamine tree when it comes to offense. First of all, the sycamine tree had a very large and deep root structure. The deepest root structure of any tree in the Middle East. Incredibly deep and, and wide root structure. One of the tallest trees that you can find in the Middle East, it can grow up to 30 feet tall. This is a big tree with deep roots. And it would go down really deep, close to the bedrock, where the water would settle. 
and it could feed off that. And the, and the root system was so deep, in fact, that if you tried to get rid of the tree, even if you cut it all the way down to the base, it could still come back up. It could still grow back up again. How does this relate to offense? Well, if the bitterness and unforgiveness caused by offense is not dealt with, those roots will grow deep and wide to the bedrock of your heart. And it will find sustenance there. And it will continue to grow. And unless you deal with the root of the offense completely and totally, it doesn't matter what you try to cut off in the outward appearance, it will still be there and it will still come back up again. Also, the sycamine tree produced a fig that was very bitter to eat. Very bitter to eat. Now, the white mulberry, the black mulberry, the sycamine, had a, a fruit that looked almost identical, so much so that even the people that lived in the area, it's difficult for them to always identify. But the fig of the sycamine tree was incredibly bitter, so much so that once you took one bite, that was pretty much it. You couldn't finish it anymore. And the other, the other fig, only the rich people actually could afford to, to buy and eat those figs. But the fruit of the sycamine tree was incredibly bitter, even though it looked exactly like the good figs, the good fruit. This man and woman fell in love, and, and when they got married, the wife came to the husband and said, hey, I need you to promise me something. I have this box, and I need you to promise to me that you will never open this box, no matter what. You're just gonna have to trust me. I'm not gonna ask you to, uh, 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 you know, please don't ask me what it's for, or anything like that, but please don't open this box. Just leave this box alone. Well, they went on and through married life, 50 years later, 50 years later, the, later, the wife is laying on her deathbed. She's sick. She's getting ready to pass away. So the husband, trying to get some of her affairs in order, that types of thing, finds this box, remembers this box that his wife had told him, don't ever open this, don't look in this. But he thought it must be something incredibly important. She's getting ready to pass away. I probably need to know what's in this box. And when he opened the box, he found two scarves and almost $10,000. So he takes the two scarves and the $10,000 and he goes to his wife and he said, sweetheart, I know you told me to never open this box, but I, I, I know, you're, you know you're getting ready to go to be with the Lord and I just wanted to make sure that I could take care of everything. So I opened it and I, I found this and what is this about? What does this mean? And she said, well, sweetheart, before we got married, my mother came to me and she gave me this box. And she said, sweetheart, anytime your husband offends you, I want you to knit a scarf. Every time your husband offends you, knit a scarf and put it in this box. And that's what the box was for. So the husband is just like, oh my goodness, this is like almost emotional. He's like, you're telling me in 50 years, in 50 years, you only made, you made two scarves? But, but sweetheart, what was the $10,000 for? She's like, oh, I was selling scarves. <laughs> Just because something looks sweet and put together on the outside doesn't mean that there's not bitterness on the inside. 
And what offense does is you can go around looking like you're all put together, but you're offended in your heart, and so you are bitter. And here's the thing. The people that are closest to you usually get to taste the bitterness before anyone else. Because people that are offended, the bitterness of that offense, they usually are incredibly pessimistic, negative, inappropriately sarcastic about everything, but not usually around everyone else. It's usually around the people that are closest to them that they're supposed to be loving the most. The sycamine tree grew incredibly fast. That was another part. And it was a preferred wood for used for a lot of different things because of how fast it grew, which is the same with the bitterness and unforgiveness that comes from offense. Sycamine wood was the preferred wood for building caskets and coffins. Bitterness and unforgiveness are deadly. I have seen bitterness and unforgiveness from offense cause physical issues in people's lives. People that I love dearly. I've seen it cause stroke symptoms. I've seen it cause heart problems. But more than that, bitterness and unforgiveness will cause your peace and your joy to die. It'll kill it. It'll, it'll cause spiritual death in your life if it's not dealt with. Holding on to offense is like swallowing poison and waiting for the person who offended you to die. But it's really just killing you. So I wanna talk about a couple of principles that have helped me in dealing with the offense of my life that I hope can help you as well. And the first thing is this, in order to remain unoffended, you have to walk in the truth of the word. Walk in the truth of the word. Romans 12, two says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do you remove, renew your mind? How does your mind, because that's where this whole battle is happening, right? The, the offense starts in your thoughts, what you're thinking. How are your thoughts renewed? The biggest issue with offense is it causes you to be deceived. How? It causes you to be paranoid and have paranoia in your life. You will walk around thinking that everyone is against you. Super offended people are usually offended by everybody, like everybody's against them. Have you noticed that? And so you walk around just like, and I was like this. Look, when I was growing up, when I would just, I'd walk into a room with people, I'd walk in and be like, wait, why are they looking at me like that? Why, who are those, why are they talking? Why are they laughing? Are they laughing about me? Are they making fun of me? Are they thinking about me? Are they talking about me right now? What, 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 I don't know. And I was just so worked up thinking that everybody was against me. And some of you, you're sitting here right now, worried, thinking about what someone else is gonna do to you or against you or what they're thinking about you. And for those of you that are so wrapped up and ate up with what people are thinking about you, 
I just want to let you know we're not thinking about you. We're not. We have limited brain processing capabilities. And at this point, we're just trying to grasp a word or two in this sermon, and we're trying to figure out where we're gonna eat after church, and we're not thinking about you. So chill out. But offense will put you in a place where you think that everyone's against you, that everyone has got a plan to hurt you. If you could summarize one of the enemy's primary objectives, it's to cause you to have an identity crisis. He does this by keeping your thoughts away from God's plan and purpose, away from God's thoughts for you, and captivated by other thoughts. That's the primary way that he causes identity crisis. There was this guy that I knew that Every time I would, I'd watch him working in college ministry and as he would go from group to group and at any time that any kind of conversation would open up, whether it was in a group setting or from person to person, and I would overhear it, this guy would talk about how he was abused by his dad when he was little, which is incredibly sad. But the problem was this. It was obvious that that offense that his dad had done towards him had caused those roots of bitterness to go deep to the point where it now defined him. And to this day, guess what? I don't even remember the guy's name. He's known as the guy who was abused by his dad because he had decided he was going to let that truth supersede God's truth, and it defined him. It became his identity. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be thou removed, plucked up by the roots and thrown into the sea. But what do you say? What do you say if you don't know your identity? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, it says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage wars. The world does. We don't have to fight like the world fights. We don't have to fight through Facebook posts. We don't have to fight through cutting words. We don't have to fight through gossip. We don't, have to fight. We don't fight the way the world fights. On the contrary, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons on this world, of this world. They had divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, great. So we've got these thoughts that are setting themselves, these thoughts of offense, these thoughts of being mistreated, these memories, these things, and they're setting themselves against the knowledge of God, the ultimate truth of who he's called us to be. And it says, what should we do? We should take those thoughts captive. How in the world do you take a thought captive? Well, let me ask you this. Can you take a thought captive with more thoughts? God gave me this cool picture. My kids were little. They're sitting there playing with Play-Doh, playing, eating, same thing. And, uh, and as, as they were doing that, the Lord just kind of gave me this picture. He spoke to me. He said, James, how are they shaping the Play-Doh? Like, well, they're using their hands and they have tools. And 
He said, well, can you shape Plato with Plato? I'm like, Lord, I think you just get more Plato. Well, you can't shape thoughts with thoughts. You just get more thoughts. Even if the thoughts you're trying to shape the thoughts with are good thoughts. And it all gets mixed in there together. The Lord says, you have to use something more firm and established than the thought to shape the thought. There's nothing more firm and established than the word of God. And not just, not just the knowledge of the word of God, it's the spoken, applied word of God that gives it its power. Because you need to know the enemy can't read your thoughts. He can introduce thoughts and try to influence your actions through his thoughts, but he can't read your thoughts. He's perceptive. He's looking for how you live. He's looking for how you speak. Those are the indications to him. It's also the indications to God, and it's more importantly, the indications to your own faith. This is why it is so important that we surround ourselves in an environment where the word of God is lived and spoken constantly. It's the reason why life groups, serve groups, community among the body of believers is so important because at one point or another, your own ears need to hear the truth from your own mouth. Your ears need to hear it from someone else. And more importantly, the enemy needs to hear what truth you're gonna choose to stand on no matter what, no matter what offense has come against you in your life. That you in faith are gonna decide that the word of God is the ultimate authority in your life. It is the ultimate thing that shapes your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, and your lifestyle. And that's what you're gonna stand on. Number two, remember the forgiveness of our offenses. How do you live unoffendable? You've gotta remember that you were forgiven a lot of offense. Matthew 5, says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, it's funny that the Bible never says to pray for your mama. Not once. Not once does it say pray for your mama. Not that you shouldn't pray for your mama. You should definitely pray for your mama. But it does say to pray for your enemy. What? That's, that doesn't seem, that seems backwards. Pray? For my enemies. One day the disciples came to Jesus with this really loaded question. They said, Jesus, how do we pray? How do we pray? And Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so I think it's really important we pay attention to what's in the Lord's Prayer. How do we pray? Pray like this. Matthew 6, 9 through 15. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us us our debts as, as, forgive us the same way, in the same likeness. Forgive us as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, most of us are familiar with this, right? Like you probably learned it at Awanas and, you know, or, you know, VBS or something like that. At one point or another, you probably learned this, but how many of you paid attention to the very next verse? The very next verse says this, 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Okay, there's a lot of different elements that are in the Lord's prayer. Isn't it interesting that the very next verse, the Lord goes back to emphasizing forgiveness of people who have wronged you? That he goes back to offense? Like out of everything that was in the Lord's prayer, he knows like this is gonna be a really tough one for you guys to get. A personal revelation of how much Jesus loves you and has forgiven you does a couple of different things. One, it gives you a heart of gratefulness. It gives you a heart of gratefulness I find it's very difficult for me to walk around offended when I'm thinking about how thankful I am for things. Like when I'm consumed with just how good God is and how much he's given me and how he's blessed me and how he's taken care of me, it's really difficult for me to be like, even notice when people offend. I think that's part of it. It says, pray for those who have brought offense against you. Like pray for them, pray for them. Forgive them. Some of you are like, yeah, did that, gave them, forgave them, did it, forgave them, forgave them, I forgave them. Did. But every time you think about them, you're thinking about what you'd like to say or do to them because of what they did. That means that the root is there. Look, this, this happens in driving, Right? Somebody offends you driving, you start thinking about everything you'd like to do or say to them. And I would suggest like, if you are a highly offended person, just don't even drive and especially don't drive down 167 because you're just gonna be in a world of hurt like all the time. There's a lot of offense happening on that road. When someone offends you, how often do you forgive them? Matthew 18, 21, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Peter's trying to be like impressive. Like he's super spiritual. Seven times, Jesus? Because the law was three times. The law was three times. The law is three times. He's like, I'll double it and I'll add one. Boom. How about that, Jesus? In fact, the law says... The law said, because of some offenses, that after three times of forgiving someone, you could choke them. Some of y'all are like, I love the law. I love the law. Let's do the law all day long. This is how Jesus responded. No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. So Peter is a fisherman. He's like, carry the one. Four hundred and ninety times in Peter's gospel, this was in a day. In a day. Now, some of you are really proficient sinners, but I doubt that you are sinning like this, because this is like every three minutes, every three minutes, okay? And, and I don't think that most of us are like have people in our lives that are bringing that kind of offense. And you're like, well, you don't know my in-laws, because they will <laughs> straight up. <laughs> But what this number is actually meaning, this is the number of completion. So what Jesus is, is saying is you don't just forgive, but you forgive completely. 
and continually, no matter what. You forgive, you release them. I met this man, a pastor in China, his name was Samuel Lee. Samuel Lee was in his, his upper 80s. We went to an underground church in this apartment complex. And what they had done is in the foyer areas, there's a common area on each floor. They cleared it out, put a bunch of chairs, and they actually had monitors on four floors where they stacked chairs in there and they were watching Pastor Samuel on these monitors on four different floors. And uh, he gave a great word, but I got to sit with him and talk about his testimony afterwards where he shared that when he was in, in college, as a college student, he, he got saved. And he began to preach the gospel at his university and eventually got arrested and put in prison for 20 years for preaching the gospel. And so he continued to preach the gospel even in prison. But when he got out of prison, he, he went back to his home and you know what he did? He, he started preaching the gospel again. And six months later, he got arrested and put back in prison for 20 years. Another 20 years. So he, he, he had spent half of his life in prison for Jesus. But the amazing thing was this. When he was telling us about the torture and the abuse that he'd experienced, he was communicating with a smile. And he'd never met someone with more joy and peace in their life. Just like, yeah, I went to prison 20 years and then another 20 for Jesus. he made a choice probably a bunch of choices David in the Bible is someone that could certainly understand legitimate offense this is what he said in Psalm 35 malicious witnesses testify against me they accuse me of crimes I know nothing about they repay me evil for good I'm sick with despair yet when they were ill I grieved for them I denied myself by fasting for them but my prayers returned unanswered I was sad as though they were my friends or my family as if I was grieving for my own mother wow how many times have you prayed and fasted for your enemies you're like, well, I pray for him. Mm-hmm. Straight up Old Testament prayers. I pray that the Lord would open up the earth and swallow them in. But have you ever spent some time praying that God would bless them? Because you know what? The people that offended you, whether they intended to or not, the only thing that changes anyone is the love of Jesus not your witty response. Jesus changes people. Start praying that they have a greater understanding of his love, his grace. If they need to be changed, let the Holy Spirit do his job. He's really good at it. A lot better than you. Many times worldly psychology teaches us just to, how to cope with offense. You can cope with it, but it's only through Jesus that it can be uprooted. 
when you become believers, and this is so important for you to understand, and it's gonna be hard for you to remember because it's hard for me to remember. When you became a believer, and if you're not a Christian in this room, you're gonna have an opportunity here in just a second. But if you call yourself a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, don't forget that when you accepted the price that Jesus paid on the cross for your sins, you laid down all your rights. All of them towards anyone for any reason. You don't have the right to be offended at anyone. And that is the reason why Jesus said, take up your cross daily. Follow me. You don't pick up a cross unless you intend to die on it. You die to yourself daily, all day long. I've never seen a dead offended, a dead person get offended. It's only through Jesus though. And I believe some of you have a root of bitterness. You keep cutting that tree down to the stump. You've tried to plant flowers on top of it and everything else, but that thing just keeps sprouting right back up. And I think the Lord wants to help you with it today. Let's close your eyes, bow our heads. If you're here today and there's an offense in your life that has taken deep root, you know that it's there. And I'm not saying that you are supposed to forget. I'm just saying that when you remember, it shouldn't cause you to lose your peace. It shouldn't cause you to lose your joy. It shouldn't cause you to hate or resent that person. If you're here today and you know that you've, you've got that because of legitimate mistreatment, whatever it was, what I want you to do is symbolically, I want you to take that offense and I want you to put it in your hand and I want you to close your fist around it. I want you to close your fist around it as tight as you can and squeeze until you feel the blood rushing out of your fist. And I want you to remember the cross of Jesus Christ. I want you to remember what he has forgiven you of. His grace and his love and everything that he gave for you to be forgiven. And then what I want you to do is in your heart and maybe in a whisper, I want you to speak forgiveness. May it be over a situation or it might be over a specific person, but you just name their name and then you just say, God, I forgive and release so-and-so for their offense. I forgive them and I release them. And as soon as you do, I just want you to open your hand up towards heaven and release them. Release them. And this is a picture of how we handle offense. Offense may land on your hand from time to time. Just never close your fist around it. Just never close your fist around it. Just keep giving it back to Jesus. And take it back to the cross. If you're here today and you've never experienced the freedom that comes through relationship with Jesus, if you have some your own roots in your life that you know have been established there, but you know you need to surrender it, if you're ready today to give your life, to receive that forgiveness, to surrender to him as your Lord and Savior. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to him this morning. If 
either one of those people, nobody looking around, if that's you, would you please put your hand up? And as soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. But I just want to pray for anybody that's ready for that relationship with Jesus this morning. Anybody in this place? Yes, sir. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Thanks, ma'am. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. God's definitely moving in some people's hearts. I'm so thankful for that. God, for those couple of people that raised their hand, I thank you that you're meeting with them right now. Just talk to them. Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I ask that you forgive me. I ask that you come into my life and be my Lord. I want you to have control. Help me to walk in a place of obedience towards you. Help me to understand who you are through your word, through relationship with other people, by the leading of your spirit. I give my life to you. Thank you for giving me a new life. Thank you for uprooting anything that's not of you. For all of us, God, we do with, with faith the size of a mustard seed. We're gonna continue to speak to those roots in our life. We're gonna live in the power of your word. We're gonna stay in a place of thankfulness, remembering how much we've been forgiven so that we can be salt and light, people that are unoffended and unoffendable. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's give God a hand. We had a couple of people raise their hand to get right with Jesus this morning. God's good.